Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. We're still in the what three words, um, and my three words this morning are, where are you? Now, um, I'm going to read Genesis 3, because that's where it comes from, and it's a question that God asks. So I think, you know, questions that God asks, something we should ask, or at least consider, whether he's asking us. So hopefully you have your Bibles with you this morning, um, on your phones, or in, in the flesh, um, or on the page, I say, um, and we read together from verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will, certainly, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for, the God, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman that you put here with me, she gave me the fruit um, from the tree, and I ate it. Then the, God, the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals, and you will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you've listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the parts of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since, it, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for, for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So we'll leave it there. <clears throat> now, 
I've got two little boys. You've probably seen them around. John is going to be four in a couple of weeks, um, which is very exciting. And one of his favorite games, absolute favorite game, and I think many children enjoy this game, is a game called hide and seek. Now, when you play with very young children, they're not very good at hiding. But you really ham it up. And because you know exactly where he is, but you're going, oh, is he under the chair? No, he's not under the chair. Oh, is he behind this chair? No, he's not behind. Where could he be? Where are you, John? Um, so let's, let's have a quick look at this picture and see if you can see. This is, this is, this is um, very much new baby. Oh, isn't, she, isn't he beautiful in the, in the bassinet? Um, I'm afraid the light is not very good, but maybe if we get a bit closer, can you see my son, John? And I think God is like this with us. When he said to Adam, where are you? It wasn't because he didn't know where Adam was. He knew exactly where Adam was. But he wanted Adam to think, where are you? And I trust after this, this morning, you will ask yourself, where am I? Where are you? Now, the series is based on an app called What Three Words. Now, you've heard this probably every week that the, the, um, uh, the series has been going. But I thought, actually, it would be quite fun to use the What Three Words for this very location and base my sermon on it. So either I'll be successful and get a really powerful word out to you and you'll, you'll go going, God is amazing, or you'll go, yeah, she tried really hard to shoehorn all these ideas into What Three Words. Um, either way, hopefully it'll be an interesting journey. So... I've got four points to make about sin, um, and then ask the question, what do we do about it? And finally, what the Lord has done for us. Um, so that's, that's the, the general where we're going this morning. So let's start with the first, what three words? Well, actually, I think I've got a breakdown of the map, have I? I think so. Yes, here we are. There's Cinnamon Brow, and we've got about, oops, sorry, about six blocks in there. So I'm going to use those six, six blocks, and we've got all the words on the side, and they're all really random words, aren't they? But it's amazing thing about random words is that actually sometimes you get some really, really good things out of them. So we'll start with the first one. We're going to start in this corner here. So Adam will be our, our first one, which will be nibbles, vans, and overboard. So let's go there. Yep. Next one. Great. So I think this is kind of the story in the nutshell. Adam and Eve took a nibble from something they shouldn't have had. Um, they, they were talked to a crafty serpent, so I'll talk about vans in a moment, and everything fell apart. They went overboard. Um, and my point here is that Satan is a liar. And sin... Let me get my notes out, otherwise I'll go all over the place. Sin opens us up to demonic oppression. It gives Satan a, a, a hold over us. The first verse, chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, says, the serpent was the craftiest of all the creatures that God had made. So he was very subtly twisting the things that God had said. And he 
deceived Eve. So we need to be very careful that when we, when we look to disobey God, because I think what happened in Eve, with Eve, the actual act of eating the apple started with a thought. It started with her heart going, hmm, maybe God isn't to be trusted. Maybe the thing he told me not to do, I can do. Sin starts there. And Satan uses that doubt, that distrust, and he creates a lie. 1 Peter 5 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we must be careful about the, the, the sins that we, we um, commit, the mistakes we make. Sometimes they're intentional, sometimes they're intentional wrongs, and sometimes we make mistakes. But all of those things Satan can use to make, make you, get, get you into a bigger mess. He is, Satan is convincing, and he casts doubt. Basically, he's a liar. I've got this passage out of um, John 8. Now, this is an interesting passage because this is uh, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, or actually more than the Pharisees, the, the, children, the, the people that were following him there. A lot of them were Pharisees, but they were saying, who are you, and why, do we, why should we believe in you? We are children of Abraham. And he said, for you are children of your father, the devil, and you love to do evil things he does. He was a murderer in the beginning, and he has always hated the truth because there was no truth in him. He's talking about the devil, Satan here. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Satan said to Eve, you will not surely die. When God had very clearly said, if you eat the fruit, you will die. He's a liar. He will tell you things that are not true. The thing is, he's just a serpent. He's just a snake. And we all know about snakes. You don't listen to a snake because he just wants to hurt you. The scripture says that he comes to steal and destroy, whereas Jesus came to give us life and life in abundance. So don't listen to the lies. Don't let him influence you. Don't let him bother you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the next one, is that sin fractures our relationships. And now this is the next, it's banter, stripped, and motivator. Now, Eve, when she was speaking to, to um, the devil, he was casting doubt. As I said, he's a liar, right? He was casting doubt on what God had really said. So you must be careful if you're having a casual chat with Satan. Don't, don't, even, don't even have a casual chat because he will cast doubt on who God is. And he will, he will bring a level of distrust. And it's interesting, because it says in verse 6 that Eve wanted the wisdom it would give her. So the desire, her motivator, was 
that, that desire for wisdom. Now, it's interesting because wisdom is a good thing. But the scripture also says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So her desire for wisdom was good, but the means to get it was not good. So this whole, the whole thing about the ends justifies the means is not true. It's not true. Because her desire was for wisdom, but she didn't gain wisdom. She gained death. The thing is, God gives us wisdom. And the thing with deception is that Satan deceived her, and it gives us a hard heart. Hebrews 3, verse 12 to 13 says this. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. It turns you away from God. You must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. So sin hardens us against God. It brings, you've probably all seen that, that, that image of that giant chasm between us and God. Sin does that. It hardens us in, inside against God. There's a lot of um, passages in the scripture about um, repent and turn to God um, and I will, I will make your heart soft. There's lots of scriptures about how hard Israel's hearts were. And the thing is, when you believe the lie and you sin, your hearts get hard towards God. And I pray for us today that our hearts would be soft towards him. It's interesting, when Eve was tempted, she listened to, to the, the serpent and said, but God said this, and the serpent said, yes, but he, that's not true. This is, this is what you should, he, you will not surely die. The thing is, with, with Jesus, when Satan came to him and said, if you bow to me, I'll give you this. For the scripture says this. Jesus said, but the scripture also says this. He knew God, and he knew who God was. And his, his faith was, was based on the knowledge of the scripture, and he stood up against the Satan and said, this is true. I will not believe your lies, and I won't stand up to you. And he does it, he does it three times. Satan doesn't give up easily. But Jesus combated him with, with the scriptures. And that's how we know who God is, if we know the scriptures. Now, the thing is with sin is that Eve placed the whole idea of wisdom above her desire for knowledge of God. In some sense, all sin is replacing um, God with, with something, with something you want, usually. So there, there'll be something that'll motivate you to sin, and you place that above God and what he tells you to do. So we need to be careful, because sin fractures our relationship with God. So the next one is that sin distorts our sense of self. And this one is hormones, emptied, and craftsmen. Now, I don't know if you've seen the, the film Captain Underpants. 
definitely a very hormone-filled film. It's not, I wouldn't, wouldn't recommend it, really. Um, but <laughs> when I was preparing for this sermon, underpants came up a lot. And maybe it's because my little boy sometimes, um, you know, he gets distracted. And so I have, I have a constant um, stream of, of, of having to, to wash underpants. <laughs> because we go through a lot of them at home. Um, and it's interesting because there's a story in Jeremiah about underpants. <laughs> now I know, underpants, right? In the Bible, of course. Um, there's a lot of things in the Bible that will make you laugh. Um, but it's an interesting story because Jeremiah was preaching to the Israelites just, just before King Nebuchadnezzar came and took them, took them away. It was to the, to the tribe of Judah. Um, and God said to him, go and buy a loincloth. So God said, go get a, go get a set of underpants. Um, go dig a hole in the river and bury them there. You're like, what? God is telling him a really odd thing to do. Why on earth would you bury a pair of underpants in the river? Anyway, Jeremiah did it. Um, and then it says, a long time later, he said, go and fetch those underpants. <laughs> I know. <laughs> really, you think, oh my goodness. Um, and he dug them up. And they were ruined. Absolutely ruined. Rotted, rotted through. Not fit for use. And the Lord said to Jeremiah, this is what I'm going to do to the pride of Judah. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Um, it's the pride that's part of the problem. Now, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, it says they ate the fruit and suddenly they realized they were naked. They'd been naked all along. It says in chapter 2, they were naked and unashamed. But something about that sin had suddenly gone, oh my goodness, I'm naked. And that's part of the reason they, they hid. And our sense of self is very much based on who God created us to be. Or who we think we are based on what we do or what other people perceive, where our worth comes from, what we do, what other people perceive in us. And we're either proud of that or we feel shame in that. The sense of self and the meaning you get for, um, for yourself either comes from who God says you are or your pride, or your shame. The story with Jeremiah is, continues. He said, I created Judah to be like that set of underpants. You read that again. <laughs> what? <laughs> he created Judah to be like that set of underpants, to be intimate with me to be my pride and my joy, to be my glory, to be close to God, to be worn close to Him. Isn't that amazing? We as people were created to be close to God, but our pride ruins it. 
and there's some interesting scriptures about pride. And I think it's because, um, before we go there, Adam and Eve, in their attempt to cover their own nakedness, made clothes for themselves. And in, in some sense, we still do that. We try to be righteous. We try to be good. We try to make ourselves good. This is what the scripture says about that. What sorrow awaits you, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You are blind, Pharisee. First wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurities. Outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. The things we do to make ourselves look good make the outside look good. But it doesn't change what we are inside. So that, that, that one is sin distorts our sense of self. The next one is that sin ruins our relationships with others. And this one is hobbies, systems, and squirts. Now, we have interesting patterns of thought. And if you look at what, what happened with Adam and Eve, when Adam was confronted with his sin, he said to God, the woman you gave me. He didn't take responsibility. He didn't say, oh yeah, sorry Lord, I did that. He, he blamed Eve, and in some sense, he blamed God. You know, you gave me this woman and now she's deceived me. If we have a pattern of, of thought the, the brain is a very interesting thing, um, and Daniel Kaufman wrote this, this um, book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Fascinating read. But he says that there's, there's two, two sort of parts of our brain. There's the, the fast part, the, the impulsive, um, you know, the, the part that um, makes quick decisions. And it's, it's, the, it's the sprinter in our, in our, in our th decision making. And then there's the slow part of the brain, which is the slightly more concentrated, you have to think about it carefully. But the thing is, as people, we're naturally quite lazy. So we tend to rely more and more, and more on the fast part of the brain. And the fast part of the brain doesn't always think things through. And it's interesting, because when we, when we fall into patterns of thought, those are the neural pathways that our brain will usually take. So if you're in a pattern of thought of, oh, he always does this, hmm, and you always come back to blaming somebody else, that'll just reinforce that pathway, and you'll think that more and more. And those sorts of patterns of thought are really destructive because 
the more you think that it's their fault, the less that relationship will be healthy and strong. So sometimes we need to engage the slower part of our brain to rewire our brain. And this is, this is really, <laughs> I think sometimes um, we need to stop and examine our own thinking and take every thought captive to Christ Jesus. Because in order for us to develop the right thinking, we need to be intentional about that. Um, the scripture talks about love. Hang on, let's just go to the passage I've, I've, I've gotten there. Thanks, Adam, keeping me on track. Um, so the thing is, relationships that are based on lies also fall apart. Jeremiah 9, verse 5 to 6 says, They all fool themselves and defraud each other. No one tells the truth. With practiced tongues, they tell lies. They wear themselves out with all their sinning. They pile lie upon lie and utterly refuse to acknowledge me, says the Lord. In relationships based with lies, it doesn't work. It's not sustainable. And what struck me about this particular passage in Revelation was that you've got those who enter into the Lord's kingdom, and then you've got those who don't. And you look at that list and you think, yeah, yeah, okay. The sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshippers, those are all fairly explicit sins. You think, yes, okay, fair enough. But then I got stuck to this one. And all who love to live a lie. And I thought, oh, there's part of me sometimes that likes to live something that isn't true. And I was reminded of a TV show where um, the married couple, it was set in the 50s, so maybe that puts a bit more context in it, but, but she would get up really early in the morning and she'd put on her makeup and do her hair. And then she'd get back into bed just before his alarm went off. So that when he woke up, he would see this beautiful angel lying next to him. Absolutely perfect. But it was a lie. And the whole show was about how that relationship had just crumbled. It was not sustainable. She couldn't be what she loved to live, this, this perception of a beautiful person. She loved to live a lie, and that relationship just didn't work. The thing is about love, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, this passage is often read at weddings. It says, love is patient, Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. So I wonder, I wonder what would have happened. Would... <laughs> I do, some, sometimes you, you wonder these things, but you don't actually have an answer. So I'm going to wonder this in front of you, and I won't give you an answer. So my apologies in advance. What would have happened if Adam hadn't blamed Eve in that moment and had repented of his sin? Would they have been cursed the same way? 
I don't know. I don't know. The thing is, the curses that came, one was about, for Adam it was about work, but Eve it was about the relationship. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The relationship between them was broken because he blamed her. Sin ruins our relationships with others. So yeah, that's quite heavy, isn't it? Sorry it's been a bit heavy this morning, but sin is a heavy thing. Serious topic. So what do we do? What do we do? Our next three words are budgeted, glimmers, bank. There's a story in the scriptures about a young man who asked his father for his inheritance and then just wasted it all. And he's sitting there, having spent all the money, and he's in with the pigs. The only work he could get was feeding pigs. Now, for a Jewish man, that was the worst. It's the lowest of the low. Pigs were unclean. You didn't, you didn't touch them. And there he was, sitting amongst the pigs, thinking about eating their food. And he had a moment of just accounting for what he had done. He budgeted it. Sorry, go back to the picture, thanks. <laughs> and he had a glimmer of hope. My father's servants get better food than this. So we're going to take a moment now, and I'll let you just think. Is there anything that you have done, have thought, any sins that you haven't spoken to God about. Because when Jesus came, John the Baptist was preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. When Jesus arrived, he said exactly the same thing, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And Jesus told his disciples to go out and to preach. And what did they preach? Repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. And this is still, our, still the message we say. Repent. And what does repent mean? It means turn away. Go the other way. Stop sinning. Go the other way. So we're going to take a moment. And if there's anything that you need to repent of, talk to God about it now. We bring these things to you, Father, and we just lay them before you. We are sorry, and we need your help to live better. And we lay them at the foot of the cross, because only there is the redemption and forgiveness of sins. This is what Psalm 139 says. 
Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The promise is that he'll lead us in the way everlasting. Now, I know the what three words haven't really fit, (laughs) but this was the one that got me excited. It's the last one. And it's passion, economics, and assurance. The passion of Jesus, the act of him dying on the cross for us, gives us assurance of our salvation. Jesus counted the cost. He considered a relationship with you worth all that pain and suffering. Two Philippians 5 verse 11. It's about his attitude. In, the, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equity with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and, bef- and, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He considered all that he had, the very nature of God, and he decided he'd put that aside and he'd become a man and he'd die an excruciating death because he knew that a relationship with you was worth it. Was worth all of that. Because he loved us. He loves us so much. And with that very act, all the things that sin has done or does to us is reversed. Sin that opens us up to demonic oppression. But in Jesus, we stand victorious over the evil one and we resist the devil and he flees. Sin fractures our relationships with God. But in Jesus, we are reconciled to God and we know him as Abba Father. We become his children. Sin might distort our sense of self, but in Jesus, we are a new creation. Sin ruins our relationships with others, but in Jesus, we are one body in his kingdom. So we have forgiveness of sins in Jesus, and these are the scriptures about that. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses never could do. Our own efforts can't do this, but through Jesus we have forgiveness of sins. 
we are free. 1 John 1. Now if we claim to have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. We get a whole new start, a new creation. So where are you? Are you having a casual chat with a snake? Or are you hiding away, hoping you won't be found out? Are you covering yourself up because you're ashamed of your nakedness? Or are you blaming someone else? Come to the foot of the cross. Because in Jesus, there is forgiveness of sins. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.